Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie. Springtime approaches, we're trying to ramp up our reading. And, uh, had some fun stuff this week and some fun stuff on the to-do list. Oh, so much fun stuff on the to-do list. I just totally piled up my library holds. <laughs> <laughs> Great, as the guy who goes and gets them. <laughs> well, you anyway... Here's what I read over the last two weeks. The first one is Weather Girl by Rachel Lynn Solomon, which is um, kind of a, well, it's not kind of, it's a Parent Trap remake, except about their bosses. So, (laughs) the main character... I'm so confused right now. (laughs) Let me explain it. The main character in this story is um, a meteorologist at a weather station, a TV station, and her boss is the head meteorologist... Her boss's ex-husband is kind of like he... What's the name for the person who runs an office? The manager? I guess. He's kind of like that for the whole news station. And um, she, one night at a company party, after her boss and her boss's ex have had a particularly insane public fight... She and a sportscaster named Russell team up and decide that what they really need to do is get these two back together to bring peace back to the station, to get her the mentoring that she wants in her job as a meteorologist, and to get him to possibly be able to cover some of the sports stories that he wants. So the two of them set out on this quest to get their bosses back together and, of course, fall in love along the way. So it's a really sweet story. Again, some racy scenes. If you don't like those kinds of things, you might want to avoid. But it was a really sweet story nonetheless. Um, Then I read Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, which I wasn't really sure what to expect from this one. But it was fabulous. It was just a really gorgeously written story. I talked to you Mm -hmm. about it quite a lot. The writing just kept me going all the way through. Um, She's a beautiful writer. In this story, you've got um, a pair of siblings who have been estranged for a while, a brother and a sister who um, come back together after their mother's death to hear her will, but what they end up hearing is a recording that she has made for them that pretty much begins with the fact that she has made one of her famous black cakes. It's in the freezer, and she wants them to share it together when the time is right. And then the rest of this recording takes them through the secrets of their family history that they had no idea about, which also kind of helps to explain the differences between the two of them um, and just just everything that has never quite made sense to them about their mother. I don't usually like books like that, and that's why I was a little bit concerned, because those kinds of things can lead themselves just to high drama with no payoff. But this was a really, really powerful family story. Um, it was easy to empathize with the characters. It was easy to feel, feel for every character, for both of the parents, for both of the siblings, even when they're all, it's seemingly at odds. Um, I just thought that this was really well done. The characters are all very, very well written and such a powerful story. I struggle with stories like this because confession time, my own over-exaggerated sense of self-importance <laughs> makes me like project these sorts of things. You know, If you're the kind of kid who grew up being like, I was adopted, wasn't I? Wasn't I? Really? You want to tell the story now? <laughs> then something like this has a certain fascination for you, I guess. Like I say, this could easily have slipped over into cheesiness and melodrama, and it didn't. It just no, rang. No, it sounded like a really good book. It was beautiful all the way through. 
Um, and I really, really need somebody who's read it to talk to me about it. So if that's you, please get in touch with me because I just, I need to talk to somebody about this book. Um, then I read Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. I heard this highly recommended from a lot of people um, compared to the Guernsey Society Literary Pie Potato. I can't remember the name of the story. The Sweet Potato Pie Sweet Society. potatoes in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But I loved the book. It's just been forever since I read it. It, they're epistolary stories. So it's a novel written in letters, just like the Guernsey thing that I can never get the title right on. Um, and it's between these two young women, or two women, one of them's not as young. Um, the younger woman writes a letter to the author of a columnist whom she really admires. Um, and the two of them strike up a friendship through mostly letters about food about love they share recipes together and it's just like i said a really sweet story about how food um and writing can join people together it's a novel as well and it's, it's it was just a really fun quick read so if you're like me and you do like food stories um this might be something that you want to consider what were you going to say Oh, just uh, doesn't this make you like want to go out and have a pen pal or something? Because that's what I find myself thinking about. I had a pen pal for years. You did, and years and yeah, years. yeah, and we I still like loosely keep in touch sometimes. So, but I'm all about the pen pals. The next book that I read is called "With Love from London," and it's by Sarah Jo. Um, this book was another family drama with the story of a mother and her. Secrets that she has kept for all of, all of her life, really. Okay, so this one was the story of a young woman whose mother dies. And she also is just um, ending her marriage. And so, unsure of what to do, she decides to go to London from Seattle and take over the bookstore that her mother has left to her. The bookstore that she never saw because her mother went out of her life when she was, I think, 12. And she never saw her or heard from her again until she gets word that her mother has passed away and she's been left the bookstop and the bookshop and the flats above it. Intriguing, I thought, again, although I was a little skeptical because I'm not, uh, I worry about those things in these books. Um, but this one was a bookshop. It was in London. Those two things appealed to me. Those were the best things about the book. This one did drift over into melodrama a lot more than I would have liked. Um, but the setting itself was really good, um, and I liked the main character. I thought she was pretty plucky. So um, if you do enjoy books set in bookstores and in European cities, this might be one that you want to give a look at. Ted Lasso probably uh, helped it out. <laughs> Don't get me started on Ted Lasso because I could talk about that one all day. If that was a book, I it would be my favorite. I would read it a million times. You would. Um Next one, well, you would too, so don't get me started. <laughs> I didn't say I wouldn't. <laughs> then I read The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. This is a reread for me. Um, I don't remember when I read it. Last summer, maybe? It sounds right. I've already talked about it's it on here before. It's been talked about on here, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a romance um, set in the academic world at Stanford. So I really, really did enjoy all of the kind of inside look at academia. But it is also a really nice romance. Um, and then the last one is called The Sharper Your Knife, The Less You Cry. And it's by Kathleen Flynn. You gave me a book by Kathleen Flynn for Christmas. And it was called uh, The Kitchen Counter Cooking School. Mm -hmm. And so this is her first book about when she... It's also a memoir. 
And this one was about her time at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, the famous oh, cooking right. school. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a really good balance between like what the school is like and the recipes there and um, what was going on in her real life at the time. Her now husband moved to Paris with her. They had not been dating an incredibly long time. They got married over the course of the book. So it was just, it was um, a really, really interesting glimpse of the way that the two parts of your life fit together, the way that they are harmonious and the ways that they are not. Plus, it, it's an inside look at a cooking school. This is the cooking school that Sabrina went to in <laughs> Sabrina. So, I mean, that's one of my favorites. It's a great title. Yeah. Um, and it was an excellent book. I really did enjoy it. Okay, you're up. Well, I'm sure everyone will await with bated breath knowing that I read Zachary Taylor by John S.D. Eisenhower. I know I have been waiting to hear all about it. Let me tell you, it's hard to find books about Zachary Taylor because <laughs> I believe there are three. And John S.D. Eisenhower's has the advantage of being very short, much shorter than the other two. The other cool thing is, okay, Zachary Taylor is a war hero, and John S.D. Eisenhower, as the D and Eisenhower might bring to mind, I believe, I didn't check this, quickly Google. No. <laughs> I'm not going to. I think he's the grandson. He is, dis, he is close kin of Dwight Eisenhower, who is another military leader turned president, and I think that was why they approached him as a historian to write this biography of Taylor. Taylor was a pretty dull man who was a war hero who had never voted for president <laughs> until he ran himself. He got elected, and he drank foul water and dropped dead a couple years later, and that's the high point. Uh, not of his presidency, certainly, because it's the end, but you know of the story of his presidency anyway. I know you've just been kind of in a rut with these um, presidential biographies yes. later, but I really admire that you have made this goal and that you're I, sticking I to it. I have soldiered on. I have my Millard Fillmore biography, one of apparently two Millard Fillmore biographies. Yes, and for some reason you think Natalie is really excited about I this. have a running joke <laughs> with Natalie that Millard Fillmore was my favorite president. Oh, right, And she's right. like, why? And I said, because during his administration, the earth did not crash into the sun. And the nonsense of that, she's like, it never did. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Okay. There you go. Yeah, I, suffice it to say I'm looking forward to getting to Lincoln where I think it will pick up some. But You, you know. ought to have a better choice of books after you yeah, get to Lincoln. Yeah, that too. Uh, Food, A Love Story by Jim Gaffigan. Uh, Jim Gaffigan is a comedian. He wrote the book that you guys got me as a present once called Dad is Fat. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> you loved that book. It was a fun book. So Food, <laughs> food I believe, was the follow-up book. Jim Gaffigan has done several. It is, of course, wait for it, about food. Um, he goes through the country region by region and talks about some of his favorite things. He talks about things about food that he loves. He talks about things about food that he hates. Would I like this book? Well, I'll tell you this. The kids like this book. I let them listen to it because despite the fact that Jim Gaffigan is a comedian, he dabbles only very lightly and mildly in profanity. I was about to say. Yeah, I would. there are not 10 comedians who I would do that for our kids, but we listened to parts of it together, and they really enjoyed parts of it. So, <laughs> you know, it's not heavy stuff. Uh, he reads the audiobook himself, which I will also give him credit for. Always enjoy that, which means like he does his own funny voices if he's trying to be snooty or something. So, you know, it's a pleasant diversion. It's it's not great literature. Dad is fat might be a little more heavyweight, but uh, food was, <laughs> was enjoyable. 
The Last Boy by Jane Levy, which is a biography of Mickey Mantle. Um, Jane Levy is probably, in my mind, the preeminent biographer of the baseball world. She's written three now. Uh, This book about Mantle. She wrote a book about Sandy Koufax that I've talked about on here. And she wrote the new book about Babe Ruth that I've talked about on here. And I'm totally blanking on the name of it. but You've talked about it. It's identifiably about Babe Ruth. They're all really good. I think the Mantle book is the best of the three. Um, Maybe because it was closer to her. It's a more personal story. She intersperses his biography with the tales of the time in 1983 when she went as a newspaper writer and spent time interviewing him. And Mantle is such a tragic, conflicted, difficult person to unravel. There's, there's somebody I've known for a long time, and I'm going to start this and you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about, who Mickey Mantle reminded me of. And I've told you before, 90% of the people you come across in the world are not particularly good people, but they want to put on a good front. They want to make you think they're good people. And the particular person about. who I'm talking about who Mickey Mantle reminds me of, stands out in my life because this person is the opposite. This person acts like a complete jerk wagon, but I think this person is one of the kindest people I know. And Mickey Mantle oddly reminds me of this. There are points in the story where I was like, this person I know and Mickey Mantle are two of the members of this very small club. I think he might take that as a compliment. I think he would appreciate that. Yeah, I I think they come from kind of the same bizarre background that, that probably formed that. So there are people like that in the world who really are soft, kind, decent people, and they cover it with a veneer of, of kind of unapproachability for whatever their reasons are, and, and Mantle was one of those. That's a cool comparison. So it, it, a very good read. All of her books are great. The Koufax is great. The Babe Ruth was probably the least essential of the three just because there have been so many Babe mm-hmm. Ruth books, but they're all great. And then Basketball and Other Things by Shea Serrano, which is one of the funnier books. It's kind of like if the Gaffigan book met a Jane Levy book, except that it was like all about 1990s basketball. So I've talked about this one before because I did the audiobook of it, which drove me crazy because the audiobook reader did things like call Dan Marley Dan Majorly 50 times. But, uh, but yeah, Shea Serrano terrible. doesn't do that. So fun book, enjoyable. If you come from the era of time that I do and enjoy memories of pro basketball than than things like having a fantasy draft of of fictional movie characters who played basketball will probably appeal to you. It did for me. Cool. And then the heavy lifting one we did, which uh, almost got cut off on the picture, I'm looking at Wholehearted Faith by Rachel Held Evans and Jeff Chu. Right, our shared book. We talked about this one when I brought it up. This is a book that you got me for Christmas that both of us had actually eagerly been waiting for because Rachel Held Evans began this book before um, her far too early passing and then her friend Jeff Chu finished it for her. Mm-hmm. So it's a book of essays. I would say this is more a book of essays maybe than some of her other books we've read like Agreed. Searching for Sunday because she only had the skeleton of this book together when she passed away. And so what Jeff Chu had to do was kind of try to flesh out the beginnings of her ideas and then fill in the spaces with other things that she had written. Um, It still managed to feel like a complete book. Um, It didn't, it didn't really feel patchy to me. No. It it felt like everything in it was going toward the same major points. Um, 
and it still felt like a Rachel Held Evans book. So massive kudos to Jeff Chu for doing a really, really difficult job of taking a much-beloved author and finishing a book like that. Yeah. Wholehearted Faith, um, again, Rachel Held Evans writes these memoirish kinds of books um, on faith, but they're not just memoir. They're um, also like theology. They're, they're all kinds of things built into them, and they're, they're generally around a topic or theme, like searching for Sunday was her examination of what it means to be the church, um, what the church maybe ought to look like, what we ought to be looking for when we look to be a part of the church and to be the church in the world. Um, a year of biblical womanhood. She took um, some of the mosaic laws for women, and I think some of the Pauline laws for women, and then she tried to live them out over the course of the year. It was often very hilarious. Then she wrote a book that I can't, do you notice how I can't remember the names of anything that I've read? In well, the some of her books have been reissued under multiple names. They've had that trick where a different publisher has picked and it up. Was, and, and that was, that's not even the one I'm talking about. It's the, the, her last book that she published by herself, the one that she did pieces, she kind of rewrote the Bible. Yeah. But I can't remember the name of it. I can't either, but I'll... Anyway, what she did it. with that one was she took um, she took parts of the Bible and she wrote essays for each part that she wanted to talk about. And she kind of organized it by theme, like war was one of them. Um, and then she did some kind of creative thing with it, too. There was a short story. There was a poem. There was um, a little screenplay that she wrote. And she combined all of these together. It was called Inspired. Um, and it was a really, really beautiful tribute to and interpretation of and examination of the questions that we have about the Bible as Holy Scripture and um, as being inspired by God. So with this one, Wholehearted Faith, she mentioned this. It's not just me coming up with it. I feel like it was kind of inspired by Brene Brown's work. Yeah, she comes up a couple times. On Wholehearted Living. Um, which if you've never read anything by Brene Brown, this would be a great time to pick up something of hers as well. Anything. Anything at all. <laughs> Daring Greatly may be my favorite. Um, but Brene Brown explores the idea of wholehearted living, as she, and she's got her tenets that she lays out in it. Um, she talks repeatedly about the idea of having like a soft heart but a strong front. And so Rachel Held Evans uses those same kinds of tenets and applies them to the Christian faith. How do we? How can we go into this world as wholehearted people, and still live out a faith that many people believe is sometimes contradictory to that wholehearted attitude? Mm-hmm. It was masterful. I mean, she was such a good writer. She never feared to ask a difficult question, and, and she, she never, never answered afraid. without humility. It was because always bracketed by that. There was always this is what I think, and I'm going to give it to you in a straightforward, linear, logical way, but I'm also going to be candid enough to admit that I could be wrong. And because she, that was what I was going with too, she was not afraid to be wrong, and she was not afraid to come back and look at the ways in which she was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to show in her own writing the growth that she made in her faith. And this is something that I was talking about with our kids tonight um, as we read and talked about the Bible just the idea that over time you are supposed to grow and your understanding is supposed to grow. I think lots of times we as Christians want to present to the world the idea that we have all the answers and that we have all the answers right now and you must accept these answers because we have them to give to you. Mm -hmm. That's not a life of faith at all. 
um, we have to mature. We have to keep growing. We have to keep understanding. And we have to do it all through the lens of love, which is what she talks about in this book. Yeah. And obviously we've said it before when we've talked about her. I just, I, uh, I'm always sorry that she's gone. You know, it's such, it's such a small body of work. There would have been so much more. The, the, the ideas and the way she expresses them are so rich. Um, it's just, I, I read it and I shake my head and I think, God, I would have loved to have known what you would have made out of these last couple of years. Uh, you would have said some things I would have disagreed with and you would have said some things that I would have found inarguable in their perfect, accurate, biblical simplicity. And I think that that was one of the greatest gifts that Rachel Held Evans had in her writing Every time we read one of her books, we came away not agreeing at all with everything that she said, mm-hmm. but appreciating so much the attitude that she came toward it with and seeing the truth in so much of what she said that it's like reading her books opens your heart and your mind to try to understand people who see it differently than you do. That's that's a very good way of putting it. And, and just because I, I'm at a point where so much of the faith conversation ends up coming down to differences and differences are as plentiful with her as they are with anybody else. But it's always in a love centric way where the differences feel smaller to me than they are. Mm -hmm. And so many places in our society, the differences feel like mountains right now. I don't see how to see through the differences and that never was a problem with her work. And I think that what you said about her humility was the key to all of it the idea that she was not pretending to have all the answers, that she really wanted to have a conversation. She wanted to hear how you saw it. She wanted to let how you see it inform her own thought processes, even if she wasn't going to change for you. Yeah. You, you, it was a conversation with her and it was it beautiful. Was. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry it's, it's over, but the beauty of, of the written word is that it's not over. When I posted a picture of this book on Instagram, and it's probably the same picture that I'll post on our paperback readers page, (laughs) which nobody make fun of me because it has a Christmas tree in the background, but I got this book for Christmas. Um, I had a friend who posted and said, okay, should I I read this? And my answer to her right away, I, I don't think I was done with the book then, was kind of ambiguous because I wasn't really sure where how she was going to end how Jeff Chu was going to end it up mm-hmm. actually um and but I I think after having finished it I would say that anybody should read these books if you are saying to yourself wow should I read this should I read her work the answer is yes because you're already asking the question <laughs> which means that you are willing maybe to enter into this conversation to listen to someone Um, who asks a lot of good questions and maybe be able to put your own back there in answer to it. Yeah. You could do one of those fun diagrams. Should I read this? Yes goes this way and no (laughs) goes this way and circles back to yes eventually. All right. I must have done that really badly, but I was trying to do it Not at all. Not at all. Uh, Next time, uh, straight linear way, just like we always are, we go straight from the late, great Rachel Held Evans to Questlove because doesn't everybody... Quest I cannot resist, cannot resist the lure of this purple covered book. It is purple. It is very purple. Yeah. So anyway, you read it. You thoroughly enjoyed it. I have read the beginning of it 
and I am very intrigued by the concept. So, I don't know much about music, really, except for what I like. You are the musician. You play stuff. You sing. You um, know everything there is to know about music. So, I'm not sure how well I will follow this as much as you did. Um, well, it's a music book, but it's a history book, yeah, too. That's why and I it's think of it's recent be, times. That's yeah. the other interesting thing. It's that's not, why I think it could be pretty cool. Yeah. I was skimming the first part of it, and he's got, like... He starts in 1971, and he's got a whole list of things that happened in mm -hmm. 1971. And then he's going to attempt to match this with music. Yes. And I'm like, well, it may be time to make a Spotify playlist and like yeah. listen. Oh as yeah, I go through. definitely. And he's he's wonderful in that he's not a snob. He'll be like, yeah, 1988, this song. Yeah, it came out in 1985, but I heard it every day in 1988, <laughs> so it's here. And I'm yeah. like, of course it is. So anyway, I'm kind of excited to read this. Yeah. So. As we wrap this up today, if you have read anything by Rachel Held Evans or have any questions about it, we'd love to talk to you. If you have read Questlove's <laughs> book or you have any suggestions for what else I should read to grow my <laughs> musical knowledge, especially in modern times as I'm pretty much like zero pop culture, whatever. Um, you can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod. So thanks so much for listening. And for goodness sakes, wherever you are, whatever you're reading, keep reading. <laughs>